This podcast is brought to you by Ethis, the world's first Islamic compliant property crowdfunding platform. Visit our website ethis.co to learn about our exciting projects and halal investment opportunities. Hi everyone and welcome to another session of uh, Ethis X, the world tomorrow. And today we're joined uh, by Siddika Jaffa, someone I, I knew for, I met in Singapore a long time ago and uh, we've sort of kept tabs on each other online from afar, I assume. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see that uh, she's gone on from her own startup, which did quite well, uh, to now being a lead venture architect, right? So maybe I'll let uh, Siddika explain to us or share with us what she's doing right now and a little bit more about your background. Sure, thank you. Yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, we, we met kind of five years ago when I was running Halal Dining Club um, based out of Singapore. I since then moved back to London and then and then sold it on. Along the way, I kind of discovered um, that entrepreneurs, especially early stage entrepreneurs, had quite a lot of challenges, you know, with um, fundraising and kind of getting pitch right. So I started a company called Infoundry, which is still going. Um, and I still use that company to connect entrepreneurs to investors and so on. Um, and about a year ago, I joined um, BCG uh, Digital Ventures, which is a venture builder company that partners with corporates. Um, and my job there is basically to create ventures from, from scratch, essentially with a team of um, designers, engineers, product managers, and so on, and then launch them out into the real world. Um, and we do that pretty quickly. We do, um, you know, we sort of go from idea to fully launch venture in about six to nine months, um, which is incredibly fast. And uh, as a company, we've launched over a hundred ventures in the last five years. Oh, wow. So so starting uh, from idea stage, pure idea stage, your own idea, mm -hmm. and then pitching it to a corporate to take it up in a sense, or does it uh, go the other way around? Like uh, the corporate has an idea, they don't know what to do, then they come to you. So uh, it can work in a number of different ways. Sometimes the corporates come to us and kind of go, look, we're being disrupted by startups or, you know, we have a, we have a challenge or we have ideas for opportunities but don't really quite know how to take them to market. So you can kind of have different start points. Um, and then what will come out of it is, you know, we'll, we'll do a lot of validation work. We'll do early testing to see if there really is a market there. And kind of go through the whole exercise that you normally would as an entrepreneur. Is there a problem to be solved? Is the market big enough? What are the solutions that are out there? And if we find that there aren't you know, good enough solutions in the market that you know, the corporate can simply go and partner with or invest in, then we will basically build a venture and launch it. Yeah. All right. So one way to look at it, I mean, uh, forgive me for saying this, but you're actually you know, fighting against the startups, isn't it so? <laughs> um, to some extent. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like if there is already a, a, a good startup out there, we have a phase called build by your partner. And in that mm. phase, if there is already a startup that's good enough in, in, in that space, then we will connect them to the corporate. Um, okay. And if we think that there's, you know, opportunities that aren't being addressed, and that's, that's the gap that we go in and, and filter. So not necessarily. <laughs> yeah sort of the enemy <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sure. I, I just wanted to put it out there to so that yeah, no, yeah so so yeah you do work with startups or if there is no clear solution that fulfills the needs of the client then you will create a startup uh, mm -hmm. with them or for them exactly yeah oh, brilliant that's very interesting uh, but before we go to that uh before we go deeper into that and i think it's, it's really very interesting both and foundry as well as bcg ventures uh, maybe we can take uh, you know a step back into time and talk about the Halal Dining Club for a while. 
-hmm. So that business did do quite well, and you did well for yourself, and uh, I mm -hmm. think it reached a certain scale and a certain level of success. Uh, can you share a little bit about your experience setting up something in the halal space in Singapore, in a country like Singapore, and then uh, you know where, where that brought you? And uh, uh, on hindsight, maybe you can share also you know, what are a few things you may have done different or you would do the same all over again if you had the chance? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think when I started Halal Dining Club, there was kind of a little bit of a movement going on where Halal was increasingly on the map. And certainly in Singapore, there was a couple of things going on. There was kind of the focus on entrepreneurship and starting, um, you know, helping build the ecosystem to support startups. Um, and at the same time, they, you know, the whole halal economy was being talked about in, in reports in terms of how big it was going to get. Um, and Singapore, I think, was was trying to be part of that movement as well. So I think timing-wise, it was great timing, and also the fact that you know everybody had mobile devices and so on. So opportunities-wise or environment-wise, I think it was a good time to set up halal dining club. I think the challenges were that you know that you know at that time the investment space was still a little bit in its infancy. There weren't kind of funds that were dedicated to the halal economy. Um, investors were still a little bit unsure because there weren't precedents. There weren't companies that had done really well, um, and the, you know that kind of kind of created this sort of momentum of you know that's the space to invest in. So those are some of the challenges that that we faced. And actually, um, when I moved to London. I continue to find that the same challenges existed where um, the investment community would, would say things like, why don't you go to the Middle East? You know, there must be investors in the Middle East that are willing to invest in this space. Um, and, and yeah, but I think, you know, part of that journey was was created the impetus for me to start in Foundry to kind of say, let's shine the light on ethnic minority um, founders and female founders who are tackling spaces that people don't really understand that are still in their infancy, you know? Um, so what would I do differently? Um, I think, you know, one of the things, so in my approach was very much collaborative, as you know, right? Which was to kind of speak to all the entrepreneurs that were in the space, even competitors and sort of say, how can we partner together? And I think, um, I, whilst I still try to do that on an individual level, I think I would have pushed a little bit harder on that, you know, kind of finding key influencers or investors to bring a group of people together to almost kind of create a coalition rather than small startups with their small kind of individual means trying to, you know, push and make it big. Um, and I think if we'd done that, we probably would have got much more scale much quicker. All right. So, so uh, this this issue that you brought up, I think it's a very big pain point uh, for the halal, you know, halal technology startup space. Even at this, you know, we uh, along the way we've been around for a long time. Uh, people know who we are, but uh, to get investors or to get the right investors, especially, it's mm -hmm. not easy. Yeah. Do, do you do you see anything significant progressing in that in that area so far? I mean, uh, especially since you've had a foundry, you engage with, with potential investors, and now uh, as a venture builder as well. Is, has something changed or is it still the same problems? I, you know, Alhamdulillah, I think things are changing and I think it is down to, it's like your responsibility and my responsibility as sort of startup founders in that space um, to kind of build those connections with investors and, and connect other entrepreneurs that we know to investors that we think are interested in the space. So I remember going to pitch um, to Hamburg Parks, which is a VC based in London for Halal Dining Club. And at the time they were like, mm, not quite sure, you know, 
Uh, and then uh, they sort of weren't looking at that space. And then last year, we actually had the first event focusing purely on the Islamic economy. And that makes Hamburg Perks the first VC in the UK to actually ever have a, a, an event focused on the Islamic economy. And I was really proud of that moment and being able to bring other startups and put them in front of Hamburg, um, you know, who then are now sort of very clearly sort of looking at the Islamic economy space as something that they want to invest in. In fact, they actually invested in Mismatch as well, which is another a startup that's doing pretty well in, in the space. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it, things are changing, but it takes time, right? So, yeah. Right. Uh, touching on that, do you, do you think there's, uh, I mean, based on in, in your your experience and you know your circles, so what you mentioned just now is a, a traditional or conventional VC going into the Islamic space. Mm -hmm. Do you see uh, do you see that as the future or the way forward potentially, or uh, how about Islamic finance itself? Are Islamic you know venture funds available? Islamic angel investor clubs uh, from 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 the Islamic world? Do they have, are there investors from there? or you know yeah. it's, it's more of general vcs who understand the space you know uh, i i actually am working with um two different groups of angel investors who are actively looking at the space however they're looking at it more from the space of backing um sort of muslim investors who they know will kind of create ventures that are ethical, um, but not necessarily ventures that are necessarily targeting the Muslim space. They could be, you know, ventures that are targeting the broader world. They just happen to be run ethically. And, and that's the angle. And I think whichever angle you're going at it from, right, whether it's um, a, a venture that is run even by a non-Muslim that's targeting the Islamic economy, or indeed the other way, you know, a Muslim entrepreneur targeting the broader world, just doing things in a sort of permissible way. I think both of those things are good. And I'm, you know, proud to be sort of involved in, in both of those movements. Yeah. All right, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it's great to know the angel investors are coming on board. And uh, at the end of the day, it's about doing good things, right? Whether uh, it's a Muslim founder or not a Muslim founder, as long as, uh, especially for you know practicing Muslims, as long as it's halal, then uh, it, it should not be a problem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, where, yeah, where, where, what I was getting at is more of the Islamic finance industry per se, because uh, I engage a lot with the Islamic finance industry, and uh, there, there's a lot of talk, <laughs> uh, but I don't see much funds being allocated, uh, you know, to to ventures. Uh, it's all huge private equity or banking. So, uh, yeah, hopefully over time there will be more interest. You know, the last uh, few months I actually went to the Middle East uh, to meet potential angel investors and family groups. And there is definitely an interest, but it's still more of curiosity. Right. It's not really, uh, it's not at the stage where they're ready to invest yet. Although uh, I, I have seen cases of that happening, uh, you know, very recently. Uh, now with the COVID, though, things are changing, right? So maybe we can go a little bit into this uh, COVID situation now uh, and uh, talk about technology companies or startups in general, uh, whether it's VC-backed or corporate-backed or just, you know, a fresh new startup emerging from ground up. Um, yeah, uh, there has been a crunch, uh, supposedly, in terms of funding. There's a, a, a significant drop in funding. There's some reports coming out. Yeah. So... Uh, is it a bad time to be a startup founder today at, at this, you know, in this period, this crisis period? What do you think? So, you know, the sort of <laughs> mandate that out of every crisis is an opportunity, I, I think holds true, right? 
So I, I think startups could be successful, but they just have, have to happen to be in, a, in the right category. So for example, we're seeing a lot of rise in e-commerce. Um, I think startups are uh, pivoting and sort of changing their business models to take advantage of things like remote working and so on. So if they're naturally in the space, this is actually an opportunity for them to, to do really, really well, right? Um, and in fact, I was talking to a, a, an investor last week that was saying that, you know, one of their portfolio companies um, was kind of saying, okay, this is our moment. And we either bet everything we have, like bet the house effectively on this opportunity right now, because there's never going to be a better time. And yet it's high risk. They could end up losing a lot of money, running out of all their cash. But at the same time, the market conditions appear to be right. So I, I really think it depends on the nature of your startup. I would say, however, I have been telling startups that are coming to me that are sort of just at idea stage that have no traction, that it's going to be very, very difficult to raise any kind of funding um, at this time. So, yeah, you kind of have to bootstrap your way through it right now if you can. All right. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. I think uh, uh, fresh new ideas with, with no clear path to, to sustainability or you know, no, no, no revenue generation at all would be very, very difficult. At this point yeah unless they can show you know some you know very very uh, key value proposition uh, because of this circumstance and not only that that they can continue after that and build up after that because uh, we this is a temporary period although we don't know how long it's going to be uh, but uh, uh, i have seen a few in in indonesia uh, i can share there's those uh, agriculture startups you know farm to fork kind mm -hmm. of startups that, that that you know link up the supply chain from the farm all the way to the wholesaler or, or even the retailer or even to restaurants directly. Right. And there's been a huge boom there as well. Yeah. So which, which areas do you think, uh, you know, um, would be uh, booming? I mean, of course, there's the obvious ones, so healthcare, uh, communication, but anything uh, that's unique that has emerged from this crisis uh, that you have identified outside of the standard, you know, standard ones? Well, so, uh, you know, I think the broad ones are the, you know, the ones that you've mentioned, right, which is food and, and actually sort of distribution more than just food um, per se. Uh, I think digitization opportunities, because I, I work with corporates as well, I can see that there's an opportunity to kind of digitize practices, right? One of the pain points I've discovered recently is um, in trying to open bank accounts, for example, uh, a lot of high street banks are still reliant on, you know, physical presence to go in and actually set up bank accounts. And it feels like this is an opportunity for somebody to come in and, and kind of help evangelize that, whether that's from an internal perspective uh, within the bank or another startup that can offer, you know, KYC solutions and things like that. Um, so that could be an area. I think mental health is another one, actually. So this is, this is something that people don't necessarily think about immediately. But we know a lot of people are facing really troubling times, you know, not being able to attend funerals or family members who've passed away having lost their jobs, having lost their businesses that they've in invested their entire life savings to. I think these are the things that we don't kind of think about as, as immediate needs, but yeah, I definitely know a couple of startups that are out there trying to address that space. Um, and I, you know, it's one to watch, I think. All right, yeah. I think uh, there the, the are new, new challenges, new problems that are emerging, so there's going to be a need for new uh, solutions as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I ha one of my friends posted something very interesting on LinkedIn recently, where he he uh, he's a startup founder, uh, quite a 
successful one in Singapore. And uh, he was highlighting how today uh, all companies need to think like a startup <laughs> because you know the circumstance has changed and it's so fluid and it's so uncertain. So if you don't have that nimbleness or, or that agility of what a startup is supposed to have, no matter how big you are, you're going to be in trouble, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So you kind of have to reinvent the business model, you know, because things we just don't know how long this is going to last, right? So um, yeah, and you know, I mean, I think it's obvious, right? E-commerce is going to do really, really well out of this. The retailers that already had successful operations have managed to pivot and take advantage of that. Um, but but others are really struggling because they just haven't got that capability, and they're coming at it a little bit too late, which is also not opportunity for, for um, startups that are in the space to kind of grow bigger um, at the same time. But is this now the time where you start to see corporates investing in startups much more actively? Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that could be a, a trend to watch. All right. So would you encourage startups to start seriously looking at how they can work with corporates or, you know, uh, plug into a corporate infrastructure? So they may have a, an interesting solution and they were trying to build it up from zero themselves. But you know they could easily try to just work with the corporate, and the corporate, if the corporate sees value, then it's a win-win for both sides. Exactly it, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you might already have the technology built, but you just maybe don't have distribution or warehousing for kind of thinking about e-commerce. And you know maybe that's the opportunity for you to kind of come together, either white labeling your platform or partnering up in a way that that's really quick, right? So the technology is there; it just needs to be scaled up. Um, I would, you know, encourage startups who have relationships with corporates or who can approach corporate VCs to, to start doing that. Right. Well, uh, in theory, it sounds all nice, but, <laughs> uh, you know, we have a startup called Global Sedeka, Global uh, mm -hmm. which does uh, charity, uh, you know, we are charity uh, marketplace. Uh, we have the retail front for anybody who wants to donate as a crowdfunding platform. But our main activity is actually trying to engage with Islamic banks and other corporates. And uh, we are very happy with those who have come on board. But honestly, it's been incredibly difficult <laughs> to get the yeah. large companies to understand how we work and how to work with us. You know, sometimes they, they, don't, they don't have the urgency that we do and they don't understand that the opportunity cost for a startup is very, very high. Opportunity cost of time. Right? So what, what would be your tips to startups when they want to approach a large corporate? Uh, first, first question maybe is, uh, do they need to know somebody inside or you know is the world today able to uh, you know uh, uh, be open enough because maybe because of triggered by the COVID to talk to startups that approach them directly based on merit that's the first question and secondly you know what should they how should they perceive this large mammoth uh, companies you know it's like we're banging against the wall again and again uh, trying yeah. to get in we know that we can do something good yeah, I mean, speed, as you mentioned, is, is obviously something that, that can be compromised when you're trying to work with a large corporate. I think the important thing with corporates is, is to understand that they're driven by very different metrics, right? They kind of want to make sure that their core business is protected. And if they are going to invest any time, energy um, and, you know, and money in new opportunities, it's got to be something that delivers at least 10, 20 percent of, of revenue return. Otherwise, it's there's probably a lot more they can kind of do in their core business to invest in growth. So I think just understanding the mindset um, of a corporate is helpful. At the same time, I think, uh, you know, with corporates, it's not like it's just a one person decision that somebody's just going to be able to sign things off. They do need to kind of 
um, get approval from a number of different stakeholders. And, and that is the thing that, that takes time. So my advice would be rather than kind of targeting um, sort of a shotgun kind of approach or a scattergun type, type of approach, um, a lot of corporates do have innovation arms or digital innovation arms. Some also have venturing arms. And those are the ones that you kind of know have sort of been on this education process of, of understanding what it's like to be lean and agile um, and probably have the setup to be able to invest, uh, look at uh, a number of different opportunities and apply their investment criteria. Um, so that's probably a sensible place to start. But yeah, if you're just starting randomly without you know any connections, I, I think it's going to be a long time. It's going to be tough, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to educate, you have to convince, and you have to go through exactly. many layers, and yeah, you'll probably end up at the same spot again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know, having right. said that, as I said, you know, I think there are certain things that are in our environment that are un unprecedented, and it may be that corporate are indeed looking um, for solutions and, and you know willing to kind of take more risk uh, in a way because it's either do or die, you know, for, for a lot of them. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, very, very interesting insights and very important, I think, for startup founders out there to take note of. Uh, two, two more questions. We are, we are out of time, sort of, but yeah, we, we'll, I have two last questions for you. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, first question is, having been in Singapore and uh, I assume been exposed to Malaysia, Indonesia and the region, and now going back to the UK, uh, you know, I read some reports recently about how the emerging markets are less affected by the COVID and probably will grow much faster after the COVID compared mm -hmm. to, to the uh, developed countries. So do you think that, that, you know, the emerging market is where the opportunity is? And is that where VCs and investors from, from developed countries should be looking at? Um, so I don't think you, you need to look at this kind of from a short-term perspective, right? There's, there's probably yep. a long play in here. And uh, yes, you know, nobody knows the extent of the tail of this, um, how long it's going to take for developed countries to kind of develop a vaccine. But I wouldn't necessarily say that developing countries are immune. You know, I mean, the situation in Africa, for example, is still unfolding. Um, I don't think they have good enough reporting systems and things like that. So can you really take the stats for real? Or, or are actually deaths occurring but people are just not reporting them as COVID related, you know? So for me, the jury's still out a little bit on that. Um, I think developing markets are an opportunity generally though, anyway, right? Um, as people become more um, digital, as the population uh, grows and sort of becomes, um, we have a very young population. So as their spending power increases and so on, I think that will bring in itself lots of opportunities. But the solutions that work there aren't necessarily the ones that we see are working in developed countries, right? I think they all have their individual um, unique needs and that's what we need to be developing products for, um, those unique circumstances. So I, that's my view. I don't know if you if you see it differently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, young, emerging, large population, a lot of market gaps. I mean, there's, there's definitely opportunity there. Uh, but yeah, as you said, there's, there's going to be, there, there is some gap in terms of how things work and what works in one country may not work in another country. The context, the localization, the, the, the dynamics, the culture, it's very, very different sometimes. Exactly. Right, last, last question for the day. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we have, I, I mean, I have uh, a lot of younger, um, you know, followers and viewers who are probably listening in right now. Uh, for those uh, who are listening in, who, who intend to be startup founders or even you know, develop a career or you know, their life in the startup area, maybe working with startup, um, what would be your advice to them? 
or, or maybe even broader than that, what would be your advice to young people today? You know, uh, the COVID maybe made the world realign a little bit, but things should go back, you know, to some sense, to some kind of normalcy. Uh, what should they be doing now? Right? What's your advice for them? So I, I really feel, um, you know, quite badly for people who've just graduated, for example, who, who just, you know, are faced with, uh, particularly in markets where we know that the recession's kind of looming and where unemployment's going to be really high. Um, I would take this as an opportunity to kind of learn, um, you know, upskill yourself. I, I think doing something that exposes yourself with or enhances your digital skills is, is only going to be useful. Um, take the opportunity to train, take the opportunity to volunteer. Um, there are so many initiatives that are going on right now. I think it's really important to get involved and be active and learn skills, right? Don't worry about not sort of having um, the money right now. If you are in a position where you are still being supported by parents or whatever, I think, you know, take advantage of that. Um, but I don't sit around and, and wait for opportunities to come to you. I think just be proactive and, and get out there. All right. Thank you very much. Uh very enriching discussion uh, truly appreciate your time you know, speaking you. to us uh, all the way across the world and i uh, hope things go well with your ventures uh, thank you. you mentioned uh, yeah you mentioned things are moving very fast i think 100 companies so far being funded or being grown from your from bcg ventures mm -hmm. so all the best for all your initiatives thank uh, you keep in touch and, you too uh, yeah likewise